We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Gator Nation Football Podcast. I'm Alan Williams. I got my partner in crime right here, James DiVirgilio. Glad you guys are here. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, super excited to have you. This is episode one. The theme of the show is going to be simple. We're going to have a guest from Gator Nation each week, as well as a guest from the team that we're going to play. And you can always count on Alan and I's candid comments about the state of the team, state of the program, past opponents, and future opponents as we dissect what's going on on a week-by-week basis. Man, I am super pumped to be here right now. This is a long time in coming. Glad you're here sitting next to me. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Well, what do you say? We just hop right into it? I say we jump right in. Okay, we want to start off and just look at some of the big picture storylines heading into the season. We got a new coach. We got new facilities. We got a new style. James, what are you thinking? How are you feeling? I'm I'm feeling a lot better than I felt in the past few years. <laughs> you mean with he who shall not be named? He, he who shall not be named. And uh, obviously, those of you who know me know that the past couple years have been rough uh, on me in particular. And and then this year, I'm excited. I'm cautiously optimistic. We're going to talk about why as we get further into the show. But I think that there are reasons for us as Gator football fans to feel better about what's on the horizon. Yeah, so just a little insight. Me and James were sitting together one night, 
when it was obvious that Muschamp was going to be fired, like, okay, who's our next coach going to be? What's going to happen? So we did a deep dive. We were there for hours. We're looking at every sitting Power 5 coach, anybody and everybody. And the one guy that we came up with was Jim McElwain. And, you know, we thought maybe not happen because he had that huge buyout, but now we got him. So this is the guy we wanted, right? Maybe. I, I really wanted Jim Harbaugh, you know, <laughs> to, be, to be frank. In fact, I had to, I had to sort of be sold on McElwain. I was, I was a little frustrated in the beginning. I didn't feel like he had maybe the tenure that you would have wanted, although he won at Colorado State, a school that's really, really difficult to win at. He still hasn't won anything as a head coach, and I wasn't super comfortable with that, but I will say that given what's gone on, and of course we're going to know a lot more when we see some games being played, I do feel a lot better about the decision. I think he's done a lot of wise things to address the issues that the team had in particular on on both the roster as well as just organization. Well, I agree. I mean, I thought Harbaugh was never going to come here. but So other than Harbaugh, McElwain was the guy that I most wanted to fit what I thought would be a successful coach here. Right. I think he was the most realistic option, but I can dream. Yes, you are a dreamer. Dream on. So, you know, we want to take a look at couple of the bigger storylines heading out of fall camp. Uh, one, obviously the most high-profile one is the QB battle. You know, who's going to be the quarterback this fall? Uh, it's been between Will Greer and Treon Harris. We saw a little bit of Treon Harris last fall replacing Jeff Driscoll, winning a few games, not playing so well in others. Greer, a little bit of a mystery man. Like, what are you expecting out of those guys? I'm expecting that Greer needs to win the job. I think that's that's the biggest thing. He, he fits the system. He fits exactly how McElwain wants to run offense. He wants the quarterback to get rid of the ball. He wants the quarterback to be efficient. He wants him to be able to read a defense pre-snap and make a rather simple decision post-snap. Whereas I think Treon's more of an athletic quarterback, wants to be a little more free, didn't run a system that is as McElwain-friendly as Greer did. And so I think for us to be successful, and again, I'm not seeing practice every day, but I would imagine that Greer's got to be the guy. I think he needs to be the guy. Uh, he has to be the guy, I think, if we want to reach the goals that we're going to get to, unless Treon has really transformed himself in the in the offseason. Yeah, I think that's the prevailing opinion or expectation is that Greer is going to win the job. And if he doesn't, that's a maybe a bit of an upset here, even though Greer didn't play last year uh, and Harris did. Uh, I think, yeah, you're right. If, if Harris ends up being the starter, that maybe means that Greer just kind of tanked or bottomed out and that doesn't bode well for this year. Do you think that's the most likely possibility of that? I think that's exactly right. If Greer's not the guy that we want him to be, then I think that we're in. I think that we're in a lot of trouble. And I think, I think, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But obviously, it's interesting. Why then are we are we sharing time in week one? And I think that has to go with the fact that you've got a new coach with a new team, and you're trying to control the locker room as well as make sure you get a chance to see each guy play in the games. Because obviously you and I can sit here and armchair quarterback, but we don't have anything to evaluate yet either. Yeah. So I'm saying that I think it needs to be Greer based on what I've seen from Harris in games. If Greer shows us something different in games, then that might change definitely. the situation. We have to see some game stuff, and I think McElwain's doing the same. But like you said, there's definitely ha- there has to be a nod towards Greer. And it seems a lot of coaches are moving this direction too, where they're waiting to the very last moment to name a starter to try to keep both guys in the program. Uh, if either one of those guys left, we'd be severely thin at the quarterback position. Um, so that's one of the big storylines. You know, the other ones, you know, we've got the new indoor practice facility, which is pretty sweet. Seen some pictures of that. 
Hopefully that'll help the program. And then the other one, uh, we're going to jump into some position breakdowns here, but the big one, big story this offseason is offensive line. That's potentially the Achilles heel of this team. If this offensive line goes south, we're going to go south as a team. Yeah, there's no there's no doubt about that. It's been a problem for us in the past couple of years, although we did see statistical improvement rather significantly last year. And, of course, we kept our offensive line coach on board, which I thought was a great move. Yeah. I thought he did a masterful job last year being able to do that. And now we're, we're caught thin again, the Ivy injury, at least for a couple of games, maybe longer, hopefully not. It's going to be the key to our season as much as a quarterback. It's really going to be, can we get any sort of blocking and can we have some unpredictable play calls that basically allow the offensive line an advantage to not yeah. have the other team knowing what's coming and then exactly getting the jump on them in the first place. Yeah, it seems like, you know, with McElwain's work and bringing in a few guys, a couple transfers, a lot of freshmen, I, you know what? It feels like we might salvage an average group at that position, and that might be enough to win us some games. Um, but any kind of injuries or any kind of setbacks along that, and it could just be a nightmare. Um, so that's the offensive line. We've got some young guys jumping in. David Sharp, uh, Trip Thurman, only real returner. You know, high hopes for Martez Ivy, but he's a little hurt right now. We'll see about that. And then a bunch of question marks. So we'll see. Yeah, what do you think has to happen on the offensive line? Who has to be successful? Give me two names on the offensive line who have to take large step forward or be impact players this year for us to be good on offense. Yeah, I think we're no uh, we're getting from Trip Thurman, uh, but the big guy that we need to come through is David Sharp. He played a little bit last year as a freshman. Big guy, uh, a lot of talent. Can he hold up game in, game out? And then Martez Ivy has to be the real deal. Once we get him back healthy, he's got to be a guy. You know that is a starter from essentially day one. So I mean, if he's not, we're in trouble. I mean, he was the n- number one offensive tackle prospect in the country, so he's got to live up to that. And how often do do offensive linemen deliver in their freshman year? You know, it's it's a big question mark. It mostly is about, like, can they put on the size and weight and strength? He's up over 300 pounds. He's got the frame for it. I and mean, we've seen Alabama start true freshmen at left tackle several times in the last few years. So it can be done with these elite, elite guys. Uh, well, let's just jump into some of the other positions. We've talked about QB, offensive line, staying on the offense. You know, the long Achilles heel, Achilles heel of our program, wide receiver, um, James' thoughts on what we might expect from that group? Uh, I think we have no idea what to expect. I, I think we expect big things out of our tight ends, and that, I think, speaks, one, to McIlwain's understanding of offense, and two, to the fact that we, we don't know what to expect out of our wide receivers, so we have to rely on something else that maybe is more consistent, like a guy like Jake McGee. I think you expect Marcus Robinson to have a nice year. I also think yeah. you expect to draw the best cover corner in the SEC each week on him. Which leaves us with, with who really running routes as our second and third guy, and and who do you think? Let's assume Robinson becomes the guy we think he is. You know, yeah. And and Brandon Powell's getting some hype, but who really needs to step forward and be a consistent route runner for this team that we can count on? Give me a few names we can look for. Who should we watch for early on? Well, I think the other guy with you know a lot of talent talent is Ahmad Fullwood. If the offense is going to go to the next level, he's got to get there for us. Uh, the coaches are really amped on Brandon Powell. They sent him to SEC Media Days as a player rep. You know, as a guy who's not played much, he's making a position change, so they're really excited about him. Apparently a guy, true freshman standing out, is Antonio Callaway. Um, Big-time talent. They seem to like a lot a lot of stuff from him. And then C.J. Wharton is probably the other guy to 
keep an eye on, um, sophomore. But at, uh, other than those guys, you know, there's a bunch of other just dudes running around the practice field. And so somebody's got to step up from that group, whether it's Fullwood, Valdez Showers, Chris Thompson, somebody needs to make some plays for this team. <laughs> Absolutely. With that, give me a give me a total catch number you need oh, to see gosh. this year. How many catches do our wide not tight ends do our wide receivers need to make in the season? Just throw a number at me. Well, I'm I'm bad with these kind of stats, but um, I would say maybe a hundred total between all of them. If we can get like a hundred catches, that's low, right? But maybe that would allow our offense to be like serviceable. So we're thinking eight or so catches a game, <laughs> but that unfortunately we haven't we haven't really averaged that, and that's the that's the sickening thing about yeah being a Florida Gator the past few years is is we have to set the bar really low. So we'll say a hundred total catches will be something to watch for on the year. Let's launch into running backs because right now that's a much better position than wide receivers. It'll make both of us feel better. What do you got at running back? Well, we've got the returner, Kelvin Taylor, son of Fred Taylor. I'm sure he loves being identified as that all the time. But he's a guy that they're expecting big things from. And then you got two freshmen, Jordan Scarlett and Jordan Conkright, that a lot of talent, no experience at all. I think Scarlett's a guy who's been turning heads in camp. And, you know, with the departure of Adam Lane, those guys, those freshmen have to play. So we can't run Kelvin every time. Right. Yeah, we can. And I think Scarlett hopefully is going to step into that bill. And obviously Kelvin's taking strides. Who on offense do you most want to watch in week one? That's a great question. Uh, I want to see Robinson. Uh, How does he look in this new offense? I mean, he's a guy with really unlimited potential. Can we figure out a way to get him the ball consistently? Or is he just the defense is shaded over so heavily to our side that they just take him away and say, somebody else beat us? How about you? I really want to see Jake McGee. I was really excited about McGee last year. And, of course, he injured himself. Well, week almost, one. Almost like immediately. immediately. And I remember yeah. sitting in the stadium and thinking, come on, this guy was supposed to be the only guy we could count on. And uh, obviously Robinson stepped up last year. But I really want to see Jake McGee. I think he's a smart route runner. I think he's a, he's a player we haven't had in a while in a UF uniform that can run over the middle and do some things. And we have a coach who wants to use that. So I'm really excited to see on week one how well we do that, especially because New Mexico State's secondary is so undersized mm. that there's no one that can even remotely match up with him. So we'll see if we can exploit that. Let's jump over to the defense. Uh, now, this is a group... Has a lot of returning players, a lot of star power. You know, must champ in the last few years. I mean, if that's one thing we could count on was to being a top-notch defense. Yeah, we could. And let's let's look at the defensive line because it's it's similar to last year in some ways. We have some new faces. Who should we look for coming out this year as an impact player? Yeah, so obviously we've got to replace Dante Fowler Jr., number three overall pick in the draft, the guy who did a lot of things for us. So Jonathan Bullard's returning starter. Guys played all over a defensive line, end and tackle. I think they're expecting him to have a big impact. Um, Alex McAllister, who won't play this week because he's suspended, um, but they need him from that rush position uh, to do big things. But they like a lot of these guys, really. Brian Cox Jr., Caleb Brantley, Taven Bryans, the guys come out of nowhere to get a lot of snaps. Joey Ivey they love. So a lot of depth uh, across the defensive line. I mean, maybe no real star stars at this point a lot of guys who could emerge but a ton of depth a ton of guys who are going to get some snaps what about linebacker what do, what do we i know morrison that was that was obviously a blow projected starter yeah. 
what are we what are we looking at for week one? We're we looking at for uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, I think the guy that's filled in nicely apparently is Alex Anzalone. You know, big time recruit coming out of high school, and then we've got Jared Davis. You know, guy who's going to play a lot. Daniel McMillan. Hopefully, I mean Morrison will be huge uh, when we get back. But this is the question mark on the defense: um, is linebacker incredibly thin, paper thin. Uh, so I think what you're going to see is a ton of nickel. That means five defensive backs and only playing two linebackers, really, because that rush position, you know, is kind of a little hybrid. But really only two linebackers because that's – I don't know that we can put more than two guys out on the field at the same time. <laughs> Which, speaking of our secondary, having to pick up the slack, running a lot of nickel, uh, having an extra defender in there as opposed to a linebacker, we know the obvious name, Vernon Hargraves. Yeah. Of course, he's going to be there. He's going to be doing his thing. What do we know about his opposite corner, and how do you feel about Tabor, as well as how do you feel about what I think the big question mark still is, which is the safety position? Yeah, so Tabor, guy played great last year, and then Quincy Wilson is another guy who played you know, really well when he got in there. So I think they're really excited about the other corner and these guys playing in coverage in the nickel. And then safety, yes, you know Keanu Neal, who's a little bit hurt. We'll, I don't know that we'll see him this week, but they really like him. And then... You know, a bunch of other guys back there. Brian Poole, Marcus May, Duke Dawson, Marcel Harris. You know, there's a lot of really talented guys. And it seems like whoever ends up winning those battles would be a guy that plays really well this year. And we'll need that because we've had a lot of blown coverages. And, yes. And a lot of talented guys back there and also a lot of blown coverages. It was sort of the one thing that a Will Muschamp defense would would give up or fall victim yeah, to yeah. In, in big moments. And it really it cost us several games. Poor so. communication. Yeah. And I think – so the. If you're looking at our defense, defensive line solid, linebacker question mark. I mean, the secondary are the stars of this team. They're the group that gets recognized nationally on lists and, you know, uh, player watch lists like, you know, Hargraves and all these guys. So this is should be the strength of the team if the safeties can match the level of play of these corners, I think. So that's really exciting. I mean, I think defensively, you know, having uh, all of this talent, bringing over a guy Jeff Collins from Mississippi State to be our coordinator – I think the hope for everybody is that the defense is not going to take much of a step back, that it's still going to be the strength of this team and allow the offense time to catch up. Well, that's what we hope for, right? So give me give me to some of the defense. How many points per game do we need to allow this year to be successful? If we had a target, what would you what would you say? I I would say 17, and I think that's totally doable. Like I mean, that's a must champ level kind of defense, and if the offense we saw in a much if the offense got going, we won a lot of games when that happened. Um, but I think this defense is totally capable of really clamping down and giving the offense maybe a little breathing room. What about you? What would you put out there? I think 17 is good, maybe less than 20. I, yeah. expect to, I expect to get more out of the offense. So in, okay. conf- in conference last year, we averaged right about 25 points. And if you look at really against the better defenses in conference last year, it was even a touchdown less than that. Yeah. So you assume if we can get an uptick in production there, even a little slip on defense, although I don't see a reason for that, but assuming you did, you're you're still at a winning clip in conference against even the better teams. So I think that would be a number to look for. Uh, you know, two touchdowns and a field goal certainly be a good thing to, to aim for. Yeah, we're going to get to some predictions here in a minute, but I mean, the offense has to be a little bit better. It, ha- it, it has to be. Almost statistically, it has to be. <laughs> it has to be, but I've told myself that for the past couple of years, and <laughs> nothing came true. And although I feel much better about it, until I see something with my own eyes, I'm going to be very, very cautious with regards to that. 
Yeah, so that's a little bit of a preview of this year, this team. What are the big things to know heading into the year? We're going to jump into some predictions when we come back, but we've got a really cool guest. James, tell us who yeah, it is. Yeah, Otto, Otto Graham's going to be joining us. He played for the Gators uh, in the mid-2000s. He played under a coaching transition with Ron Zook and Urban Meyer, and he's going to give us some good insight into what these players are going to be thinking about or facing as they approach this Week 1 game yeah. against New Mexico State. It is different than being on an established roster with an established coach. There is some, some different yeah. things going on in the mindset. So with that, we'll, we'll bring Otto on the show. So we're joined now here by Otto Graham, a friend of ours, to share a little bit of his thoughts uh, heading into the season. And Otto uh, is a good friend of mine, played for the Gators 2003 to 2005. So he was there from the transition from Ron Zook to Urban Meyer. He is also the grandson of NFL legend, Otto Graham, same name, uh, Cleveland Brown fame. And Otto, with that, we wanted to get an idea of what it was like during your time there to transition from one coaching regime, if you will, to another. And then, you know, what you think that's probably like right now for the players with the offseason camps, the practices, the two a days, and the competition. Sure. Well, first off, let me uh, start by saying, uh, hey, guys, thanks for having me on the show. Can't tell you how excited I am to be here at the inaugural level of this show. Um, you know, that way, when it takes off down the road, I can say that I was there day one. Very excited about that. Um, but uh, to get to your question, James, so, yeah, so it was a very interesting time for me to be able to get to experience that. Um, the first two years of my tenure with the Gators were uh, under Coach Sooks. And Coach Zook had, uh, you know, very specific ways of doing things. Um, and then when Coach Meyer came in, uh, obviously he had some quite different ways of doing things. Um, I'd say the biggest difference that I saw in terms of a coaching change is exactly that, just the difference in philosophies and how it affects, um, you know, the team. Coach Zook was, you know, an NFL-style coach. As long as you showed up on Saturdays and did what you had to do on the field, then, you know, he didn't care necessarily what you did the other six days of the week. Um, whereas Coach Meyer, he came in with, um, you know, some very specific rules and guidelines. He had a, uh, you know, a specific code of conduct um, that you had to, you know, conduct yourself with. Um, and really, you know, not just on Saturdays, but, throughout the entire week, throughout the entire year. So um, I don't think it's any surprise that under the Zook years, you know, discipline wasn't necessarily our forte. So I got a chance to kind of watch Coach Meyer come in and kind of start off by addressing that and getting the players where they needed to be mentally. Um, and then kind of from there, we went on to see his differences in coaching philosophies and, you know, putting more uh, onus on accountability on the players on the field. And uh, I think we all know that the results uh, for that style spoke for itself. So what was it like, given that change, going into the first game? Were the, were the players maybe a little more nervous? You had a new coach. You were competing for your position a bit more than otherwise. Was it more of an audition than under the established coach? You kind of already knew who you were, and you've already had some game experience with him. Yeah, you know, I have to say that, that probably that, you know, in the very beginning of that first season, it, it was, it was all kind of, you know, question marks, um, you know, because everything was, was very different. You know, it was, you know, most of the people had bought in at that point, but you, you may have some people who aren't a hundred percent bought in. So they're kind of waiting to see what that looks like, you know, on the day of the game. Um, you know, I, 
Urban Meyer came in with some previous success um, in his career before he got to Florida, but it was, you know, some would say on a little smaller level than SEC football, um, you know, maybe very similar to Jim McElwain coming in and, you know, the success he's had. Um, but, you know, kind of the same questions we're looking at now, you know, how is it going to translate and correlate to the SEC level? Um and also, you know, it was it wasn't it didn't happen overnight. My senior year was almost an entire year of transition until, you know, Coach Meyer was really able to get his system in place, um, whether it be recruiting the players, but also, you know, filtering out that um uh, you know, those issues off the field like we talked about. Um and then uh, you know, he was able to have really immediate success after that first transitional year. So um I think we're all kind of hoping that, uh, you know, maybe something similar is coming uh, here for the 2016 season. Yeah, and given what you've seen so far while no longer, you know, practicing and, and on, the, on the field on a day-to-day basis, do you think you've seen maybe a difference from the previous Muschamp era to now the McIlwain era to, to some of the stuff you've seen? Do you notice from the outside that you think, hey, you know what, there's some similarities here. I bet the team is going through a similar transition phase to a coach that seems to be a bit more attention to detail oriented, maybe a bit more entire team oriented, or are you thinking, eh, not really sure if this is a big change with regards to the, like you said, the philosophy? Yeah, you know, that's actually a great question. Um, I don't, you know, I don't obviously follow it as closely as I did when I was living it every day. Um, but, you know, living in Gainesville and still being a, you know, diehard part of the Gator nation, you know, you definitely still hear, you know, a lot of the rumblings of what's going on. Um, so compared, com- combined with that and um, the opportunity I had to actually meet coach McElwain and get a chance to talk to him about his philosophies a little bit. I have to say personally, from my uh, point of view, I think he not only came in initially and said all the right things, but really looking at now that we're getting into the ability to start some practices and get out and, you know, strap the pads on and, and get after it a little bit. Um, everything that I've seen really, I think, you know, goes right in line with exactly what he should be doing to kind of take some of the opportunities that, you know, we as a football team had over the last several years and really transition that into something that's going to be bigger and better going forward. I was actually going to jump in and ask, uh, Maybe it's a good moment for your predictions for this year, how you felt about the team this year, maybe even a win-loss record. What are you most excited about with this team? Yeah, so I'll start with the the latter question. So I think that I'm most excited, probably what everybody else is most excited about, to see if, you know, probably the same thing that I talked about the players are probably feeling, you know, to see if this transition and what has sounded good so far in the offseason – is going to, uh, you know, come to fruition on the field. Um, I'm really excited to see, you know, Gator football be back somewhere where it's, you know, enjoyable to watch on Saturdays. I'm going to watch either way, but, you know, sometimes it was kind of one eye turned away and one eye at the TV, and, you know, I'm kind of <laughs> ready to get back to those glory days where, uh, you know, we can kind of start talking some trash back to that school up north. Um, yes. But, you know, having been through it too, I think that, I think that, it's definitely not going to change overnight. So I think if people's expectations are that we're going to come out and go undefeated and win the national championship this year, while I would think that would be great. uh, I think we probably have to curb expectations a little bit. Um, Looking at our, our schedule. uh, I think that eight and four would be a great spot for us to be 
I think that we have a couple of games that, you know, maybe we're still working on that transition and we're not ready to get over that hump just yet. But I feel like, you know, maybe seven and five is maybe more realistic, but I think eight and four would be a great launching point to take that into the off season, into recruiting and, you know, getting in the weight room and getting better for, uh, you know, the upcoming year that, uh, that that would put us where we need to be. Yeah. Well, thanks Otto. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm uh, excited about the season as well, seeing what's going to happen here. Uh, so thanks for being on with us. Uh, really appreciate you taking a moment, sharing some of your thoughts, some of like really unique perspective of a player, former player inside the organization. And we've got one last question for you as a, as a Gainesville native and local now. Uh, what's your favorite Gainesville restaurant? Oh, this is a surprise question. I'm going to have to think about that. Um, you know, as of recently, I've had a chance to get out and, uh, you know, partake in some of the real great local mom-and-pop restaurants. And one of the ones that I, uh, I was able to uh, visit recently – uh, was the top uh, only open for dinners? But uh, I have to say that uh, if, as it stands right now, I think the top is probably my uh, current favorite. Mm, that's a solid choice. That's a very solid choice. I like that. I knew I knew that you would have a good pick. Well, like Alan said, uh, you were an amazing first Gator Nation guest. So we appreciate the time, and we will certainly keep tabs on your prediction as the season goes on. Appreciate you guys having me. Good luck with the show. Thanks, Otto. How are you feeling, maybe just overall? Like, how are you feeling about the offense? Give me some thoughts on that. I feel excited to see what's going to happen. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I think that we could be good on offense. And what I'm most excited about is I think we have a tactician that understands formations. He understands scheme. He's done it everywhere he's been. He's coached quarterbacks very well. And most importantly, I think he runs a very college-friendly system. It's it's not a pro-style offense in the truest sense with regards to multiple reads pre-snap and post-snap. It's actually a very simple offense that a lot of times is just one read. And so he's creating balance on offense. He's going to use multiple tight ends. He's going to create mismatches. And all he's going to ask the quarterback to do is make a pre-snap read and then make one simple post-snap read. So I think that that can play into what's going on. It's a quick offense. It doesn't require seven-step drops to where we're holding the ball a lot. Mm -hmm. So all in all, I'm excited about the potential. However, I'm still worried about the offensive line. That's that's not going to work well if you're getting a rush in your face consistently. It's not going to work well if you can't run the ball at all. But I am. I am cautiously optimistic. And in fact, if you compare it to the past couple of years, I'm extremely optimistic to watch something different from what we've been watching on Saturdays. You think this offense could be more than just competent. You think that they could be good or excel even in a sense. I think if the tight end position is as good as we're being told it could potentially be, that we could in fact excel. I think it's a mismatch position in college. I think it's a mismatch position even in the SEC. And I think if that's true, that's the case. What what are some of your thoughts on offense? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you right there. I'm cautiously optimistic. Again, the offensive line thing that there's, I mean, there's so many question marks, but if you put them all together, I think it, it could be a thing that's actually kind of fun and exciting to watch. I hope so. I mean, I think it will be down the road. I think that's the case. But we'll know a lot more as we get into the season as far as with what's going on. And speaking of getting into the season, let's play a little win-loss game. Let's play it. Let's do it. So I'm going to walk you through the schedule, and you're going to tell me, and I'm going to also tell you whether I think it's a win or a loss. And you'll go first. So (laughs) New Mexico State. Well, win. Win. That's 36-point favorites. Definitely both of us win. Yes. Okay, simple enough. East Carolina. 
I'm going to say win. I mean, we beat them in the bowl game, and they lost their biggest stars on offense, their quarterback and receiver. So I'm going to say win as well. Not an easy game no. on the schedule. They have lost a lot. Uh, certainly it would be a lot scarier if it was last year's team again. I'm also going to say win. All right, so both a win and a win. And then we go to Kentucky on September 19th. Kentucky Ooh. is a team that thinks they're on the upside. They're excited. They're ready. They're ready for it. It's going to be a night game. What do you think? Uh, I'm going to have to say win. I mean, until Kentucky can actually get over the hump and beat us, I mean, they had their chance last year, and they couldn't pull it off, so I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, and I'm also going to say win. I'm going to make mine conditional. I don't know if I can do this in this win-loss game, but mine's conditional. If uh, if Will Greer is is the quarterback that even we remotely think he is in the first two games, which we'll talk about this in future podcasts, and I've seen this with my own eyes. That's always my litmus test. Anyone who knows me knows that's the case. I've got to look at him. I've got to watch him play. If he's that guy, that's a win. It's a confident win for me. We're better than Kentucky. If he's not that guy you got to toss that one up, but I'm still with you until they prove they can beat us. Mm-hmm. It is what it is. All right, then we have probably my favorite game every single year, yes. the Tennessee game at home on September 26th. What do you got, winner? Uh, I'm going to say wind. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a believer in the Tennessee hype train. I think they, they still have a lot of question marks. They weren't that good last year up till the very end. I mean, and I don't know that Dobbs, their quarterback, is the miracle worker that everyone expects him to be, but that's a feels like a 50-50 game. Yeah, there's no way to know. Again, Tennessee's going to answer their own yeah. questions. They have Oklahoma coming in on the second week of the yeah. season. We'll know so much more than we this know This is obviously now. just pure yeah, speculation. Yeah, but for the fun of win-loss, I mean, it's a win. We've okay, beaten so Tennessee. we're 4-0. We're we've 4-0. beaten Tennessee so many times, how can it not be a win, right? I'm feeling really good <laughs> about gonna it. We're going to fall on our face so badly. <laughs> so, um, then we go to October 3rd. We have we have Ole Miss at home. Yeah, I what think... What do you got there? Again, I think this is going to be close. We'll, I'm excited to see, but I, I think i got to say loss here. 